Hi friends, I'm Tim Whitaker and welcome to the New Evangelicals podcast. The New Evangelicals is an inclusive, Jesus-centered community that holds space for people marginalized by the evangelical church, advocates for accountability in the church, and helps you explore the Christian tradition beyond the basement of evangelical fundamentalism. This podcast is part of that work, so join us as we talk to people from all walks of life, lending their expertise and wisdom to us as we renegotiate our faith and find better paths forward. Friends, hi. Welcome back. Another podcast. Man, we're like 200 plus episodes deep. I can't believe that. Thank you for listening. This is a fun episode. Kevin Garcia is a good friend of mine. I really appreciate them. They've helped me with so many things, whether Kevin realizes it or not. Um, And I'm grateful to have them on the podcast. We talked about their new book, What Makes You Bloom. We also talk a lot about, well, okay, let me preface. I just said to Kevin, hey, you and I are friends. Let's just hit record and have a normal conversation like we would offline. And so we started by talking about polyamory and how I feel about it and that kind of conversation, which was really fascinating. And then we got into their book and, and What Makes You Bloom and Rituals. This is a really fun conversation. Kevin has a lot of wisdom to offer us. I think you're really gonna enjoy it. So yeah, buckle up. This is a fun one. Um, that being said, friends, thanks for being here as always. If you want to share the podcast, that would be so helpful. It helps other people out there know that they're not alone in their faith journey. I'm so grateful for all of you. I'm not sure if I express it enough. It's just crazy to think that we have people who listen to the show. I mean, I, I can't express it to you um, uh, enough how much it means to know that people are out there. Also, I know for a fact, some of my friends listen to the show. Hi. Kelsey, hi. There you go. There's one name that I know for sure listens. So it is it is a weird thing to have people that I know listen to the show, but I don't take it for granted, friends, and I appreciate you listening in. Whether you agree or not, it it means a lot. So anyway, I'll stop rambling now. Here's my interview with Kevin. Talk to y'all later, friends. Have a great day. Hi, my name is Ashley, and I live in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I'm a TNE donor because I believe wholeheartedly in the work that they're doing. Growing up, the word Republican was synonymous with Christian. It was implied that to be a Christian, you had to vote a certain way. But around 2015, 2016, I started waking up and noticing the harmful us versus them mentality in our country. The harmful rhetoric from people like Trump or Sean Foyt, for example, just did not match up with the Jesus I knew and had been taught about for, you know, almost 30 years at that point. I'd say that was the catalyst for me to really just examine my faith. TNE content, I believe it inspires us to be a better and more loving neighbor to the people around us. And that is what I believe Christianity is about. Honestly, Kevin, and I can tell you this because we're, we're pals. Yeah, tell me and everybody else is listening too. Yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I am navigating, right? Like rebuilding, I would say an individual sexual ethic with me and my partner, but also just exploring how other people function in the world. Does that make sense? Like like, like me and Cortland from- I love Cortland. Yeah, he, he's, I believe it's he. He's great. Sure as well. Okay. If it's not Cortland, DM us and say, you assholes. Yeah, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but we had a great talk about polyamory at beer camp. Mm-hmm. And it was like super stimulating. And I was able to be honest, like, hey man, I'm I I would never make that judgment call if it's 
quote unquote moral or not. I know it's not really for me. And I'm, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, like I can hold space for people who would live that, that differently. But I'm also like, there's also questions in my head of like, and again, this this is not a moral judgment. I, I really don't care how people live their lives. Actually, I just don't care. But I wonder like, okay, like, is there data on this? Like, how does that work out? How does that function? Uh, is it usually a, a healthier scenario than the monogamy? I don't know. And so I feel like going to events like this are just ways for me to help myself understand like how other people can function in the world that might even be Christian, right? But maybe have a very yeah. different way of living, especially with when it comes to sexuality than I do. So I'm just excited to yeah. learn. I mean, I'm not, at, well, I'm advertising the event now because we're talking about it on the air, but like, mm-hmm. I'm not advertising. I'm not going as a speaker. I told the event organizers, yeah, like, like if I'm going, I'm going as somebody to just participate. Yeah, I just want to show up and hang out. Like I don't, don't, I don't want to do anything there besides no special offer codes here. People, sorry, none, none. I paid full price for my ticket. I'm happy to do so. So anyway, I, I I figured you would you out of all people are someone that because we have a relationship, I could just be very like, here's what I'm thinking about. And you're like, Yeah, I know who you are, Tim. Like, I know you're not an asshole. And I'm like, Thank you, Kevin. I can be honest yeah. around you. I appreciate that. And I think that's the starting point is that if you can look at non-monogamous and poly conversations from the perspective of just like, I just don't know what I don't know, and I'm not gonna demonize it or call it bad because I don't know. I've had like early on, because I'm you know, I'm non-monogamous myself. And I'd be open to a poly relationship if it came along in my life. I just don't see it for myself. I see I'm probably going to be more of the person who has like my partner and we settle down or whatever. And then we're open because that's also how I operate now Mm. in in my relationships is that like ever since my first boyfriend and I were we were supposed to be monogamous, but I cheated on him because I could not express what I wanted and I didn't think it was available to me to ask for that because I was a good Christian and Christians, we don't, we don't do that. We're one, we're, we're one-on-one. At least that's what I thought. And as I was like dissecting why I did what I did and, you know, spent like, you know, six months trying to repair a codependent, it was not a healthy relationship. And what I did was still wrong. Right. Right. Still a boo-boo. Yeah. Still, still the wrong thing to do. But at the end of it, once I understood that I'm allowed to want that, Mm -hmm. I'm allowed to ask for anything I want in relationship. And as long as I'm always okay with hearing no. And so from the jump, even with my last relationship with my partner, Dean, like we were open from the jump and that was really helpful for us. And especially for me, because, you know, I'm not going to air his laundry. He's still exploring like, you know, what is good with him, what he actually likes, what he actually wants. And like me being able to be a whore like I am really, really allowed for a lot of flexibility. And, And like, the thing is like, that didn't make me love him less. Like, and like, you know, in, we're not together anymore for different reasons, sure. but it, it is so helpful to have my friend, like, I don't really care what other people think about my relationship either. But I think as far as like, when I'm thinking about how society is organized overall, yeah. how faith communities are even organized, it's not organized around the community. It's organized around the nuclear family. Right. Right. And that's, a, that's another system of control that we don't even see. But that's probably another conversation for another time. Yeah, you're probably right. It, I, I think where I'm at right now, and probably will always be in some flavor of this, is like, even if, let's just, and this is this is not the case, but let's just say hypothetical, right? Let's say one day I came to the conclusion that, hey, I think that when it comes to human flourishing or whatever, you know, I think that uh, monogamy maybe has the best outcome. Let's just say I, let's just say, let's just say I ever held that view. It's still so low on my bar of things to like talk about as like a moral problem 
that I probably would never actually express that view to people because it just, it, I don't really care that much, right? Like, like we're talking about what, like, two, uh, does that make sense? Like, there are bigger issues to fry. Yeah. And also, it's like human flourishing is always going to be an individual and sub- like, it's pretty, it's, it's a subjective thing. There's no, I mean, if we want to say objectively, human flourishing looks like XYZ things. And then, you know, what about the one person? That doesn't fit into right. it's the same thing with like Christianity. Just like we said, like, you know, if you be good Christian in this way, you should feel the joy of the Lord. Yeah. Right. And then a bunch of us didn't fit into that. Right. And so <laughs> so for me, like I have some of my friends who I think are painfully monogamous, if you will. Like they're just and I really do think on some level, again, like I'm not a psychologist or I don't know how many research on this, but a theory I have. Mm. I really think it's kind of like an orientation, just like sexual orientation mm-hmm. is like, you know, who am I attracted to? I think that relational orientation and how you desire to connect and build relationships might be, might be something on the spiritual level, mm. might be something on the internal level. Yeah. Based on like what you need in this lifetime in order to find liberation. Yeah. So for me, like if I were to, <laughs> I tried to pursue monogamy right. and I tried to pursue being a good Christian in, in that particular way. And what I found is that my desires went beyond that. Right. And stuck in the old, like, you know, in the old paradigm, that's not flourishing. Right. That caused me to hide. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and by, the, by the way, audience, now, now that you're kind of tuning into our, our behind the scenes conversation, right? Just, just to be clear, I, ha- I looked it up the other day. I was just curious. A lot of countries in the world still practice polygamy as part of their culture. Like it's not, I know for a lot of us people, especially us ex-evangelicals, or maybe, maybe you're listening, you're pretty conservative still, which by the way, thank you for listening. I know this can seem like, oh yeah, my God. Conservative. I'm like, glad. Like, <laughs> like they're, they're just so far <laughs> down. But like, first off, just read the Old Testament. But number two, I mean, this is not an, un, this is, yes. I mean, statistically, the majority of people, even in the world, as far as we can tell, are not uh, polyamorous in some way, but people still are and they exist and they have great lives and they function and it's fine. The other thing I want to say too is like, the only, like to quote Esther Perel, who is psycho- like marriage and sex therapist and relational therapist. She has a wonderful podcast called Where Should We Begin? And one thing she says in her book, Mating in Captivity, is, oh no, I'm sorry, this is The State of Affairs. That's the book. She says, tradition, more time honored than marriage is infidelity. Because like, think about it. Like as many, like as much right. times as there are people marry, like how, That's it's true. 50-50. Marriage is either work forever yep. or they don't no that's a great point and it's like looking at these episodes like people are already out here practicing non-monogamy right practicing having all of these like different sort of relational ethics but because it has been demonized and because we say like no you're supposed to be my one person for forever right. in this particular and yeah that's what they agreed to right right and so it's like yeah. i just want to look it's like when i look at what's happening yeah it's like hmm there's something else going on here because yeah. I didn't cheat on my partner because I was a, a well, yeah, because I was an asshole in some way, but it was deeper than that. Right. It was more complex than that. And for other people, most of the time, you know, they have a non-monogamous orientation, like you know, or desires within themselves, but they are trapped by society's understanding of what a healthy, quote unquote, healthy relationship is. I I think that's fair. Listen, there are nine billion people on the planet, right? People are really diverse, and they're complicated and they have different reasons for doing different yeah and also if you're monogamous right on that's me you should be monogamous i love it like i'm so happy that's the thing is i know (laughs) like i look at all of you monogamous people and i'm just like you're good on you i mean it's definitely it's certainly more stable having like you know Mm. it's certainly more stable it takes i won't say it takes less work i i don't i'll say less work for 
for me. So I have two kids under under four. My life is already pretty full trying to make all this stuff work. And mm. me, listen, me and Sarah, first off, we, we've been together now. It will be 10 years in February. Yeah. And we have a, we, I mean, no bullshit, Kevin. We have a really great relationship. We talk about this stuff. Like I we, love this. we have very open communication. We've talked about non-monogamy and, you know, what does that mean? And are, are either of us thinking about those things? And we're both like, listen, I, maybe there's maybe like in the fantasy world, the idea of someone else is like cool and fun, but on the pragmatic world of like, you know, mm-hmm. the relationship and putting in the time and learning that person and navigating new feelings and also having a family. It just does not work for us. Like it would yeah, just be sounds, such a, that sounds complicated. <laughs> it would be really freaking complicated. Like like me and yeah. Sarah have enough days where we're like, sorry, I miscommunicated, and now you know we're one of us is upset about something. I can't imagine adding another person in that mix trying to navigate. And like that. that's the thing is like I think that like if you are even remotely interested in non-monogamy and you do not know how to communicate with radical honesty, you've got a long way. If you haven't dealt with your codependency issues, you've got a long way to go. And also non-monogamy is not an answer to, I cheated on you, so let's open up the relationship. That's like, even in non-monogamous relationships, you can still cheat. You can still be unfaithful to somebody or to an agreement or to a partnership. Right, right. And so it really does take another level of communication and honesty and it was actually because, like, when me and my first partner broke up and I was reading things like The Ethical Slut, More Than Two, Polysecure, those are, like, the top three, like, I would say, my recommendations. But what I learned from these books is any relationship, all relationships, regardless of whether they are sexual, romantic, or just platonic in friendship, is that if you're not communicating with that person with absolute honesty with yourself, you're doing everyone in that circle a disservice. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something that I was like, it was like, what would happen? Like, it's my fr- one of my favorite questions I was asked to me is, what would happen if we treated our lovers like our friends and our friends like our lovers? Like, what if yeah. we ch- actually, you know, the person who's my partner will say, what if I told her what I was feeling explicitly? What if I told her when I was mad or sad or upset or scared, like I do to my best friend? Right. And also, what if I told, well, you know, I'm, I can tell my, you know, what if I told my best friend when I was mad at him? Right. You know, also, what if, you know, what if I set aside, set aside time to invest in the relationship with my friend so we can do things together because this is a relationship? What if we had anniversaries? What if we were like, you know, you know, very sweet to one another? My, my friend Miles and I, I call like, he's like my, you know, platonic spouse who lives on the other side of the country. We have like a very romantic friendship. Mm. That's non-sexual. Right. And it's 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 honestly kind of like the same way I feel about Cameron. Cameron, mm. like our one of our mutuals. Love Cameron. Is one of my best friends. And I'm just like, I have a deep love for you that goes deeper than just like BFF, but also like you're I know that you're not my spouse. Like it's it's the most beautiful, self-giving, and also f- it it's it's the filling and the self-giving all at once. And at the same time, I'm like, oh my God, herakoresis. Mm. Here I am experiencing the Christ through my love and the love that these people are giving me. Mm. Okay. And some people would look at yeah, this stuff and be like, oh my God, it sounds, you sound crazy. Well, I, I don't think you do. I, we're we're going to get into your book in a minute. Okay. We're, we're, sure, we're, sure, we're sure. pals. We're, we're going to get there. But while we're here, uh, let me ask mm. you a question. All right. Like this is if you and I were, were hanging out and the camera wasn't on, I'd ask you the same question. Mm. Do you think, because I, I know the feeling, I know the whatever emotions you're talking about. I have friends who I feel very much that way towards, both men and women, right? It's not sexual at all. Like, not even close for me mm-hmm. that way. But it's there's a, a very, deep, like, deep-seated... Sacramental friendship. Yes, and, like, tender and just, like, 
I have a feeling about you that I don't know, I don't have the words to express, but I just care very deeply. I'm wondering for you, this is just totally hypothetical. Do you think part of that problem is because the English language is so limited when it comes to word, the word love? Like I think about, you know, how we grew up in church, there's four words for love in the Greek, you know, and they, they mean different kinds of things. But for us, like, you know, I love pizza. I love my wife. It, it would make sense in both contexts, very different, right? I'm just wondering if like part of the problem for, for this is twofold and then I'll get your response. Number one, if, and again, as someone who is a man, you know, you're kind of wired that like romance and sex are completely intertwined, right? Like, like, like you can't separate the two. And mm-hmm. so it's also, and it's weird to be affectionate towards your guy friends if it's, you know, if you're a straight white man, we'll put, 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 put mm-hmm. it that way. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if that's a hang up. And then number two, I'm wondering if just the fact is that I don't always have the language at my disposal to express the type of feeling I'm feeling without sounding weird to someone in that, in that friend circle, right? Like if I told my, my mm-hmm. one friend who's a woman, right? I, I was like, I just have deep romantic feelings for you. They'd be like, what? I'm like, no, no, no. I don't mean it like, 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 like sexual, yeah. you know, I mean, just like, I just deeply love you. You know, language does fail in some ways. Cause I'm thinking, I'm just like, what is romantic love either? It's like, is it like, it's not so much like in its purest form, it's not a consumption of anything or I want you. It's a complete adoration of the person in front of me and wanting nothing but the best for them. And almost like gushing because I love them so much. Right. Yeah. And that's how I feel. And so like, you know, when people think romance is like, you want to marry me? I'm like, no, I don't want to fucking marry you. Ew. That's not what I said. <laughs> Marriage. Ew. I'm just kidding. Don't knock it till and you I try it. So, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, you right. You actually right though. And of course, like I've seen so many like queer weddings recently. I'm just like, oh, that sound like fun. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like I want, like if I could find me a man out there and I'm sure there's somebody out there. Hey, T&E audience, yep. if you are out there and you are looking for somebody who's got a job, who is, you know, stable, who's done his, you know, I've done my work and I'm, I'd love to go on a date with you. There Slide you into my DMs. There you go. Slide um, in. On some level, I think it like, it is language too. I think your social location as a heterosexual male you know, limits you in some way to, cause like for me, like I went out last night and I kissed like five of my guy friends on the lips mm. when I saw them. And it was like, mm, it's so good to see you. I love you so much. And just like, and then like, you know, moved on with the rest of my night. And it was no, like, that's just part of how we express things and like how we kind of like love at least. And, and this is, that's not all queer people. And also don't kiss nobody you don't know right. without, <laughs> good, without good uh, consent. But it's, it's one of these things goals. where, yeah, certainly not. But this kind of, I mean, it is a very queer way of looking at it, but at the same way, it's quite biblical because what does it say? When you see one another, greet each other with a holy kiss. Mm-hmm. That's in the New Testament. Boom, too. it's biblical. The Bible's clear. Yeah, so I think it's it's partly like, it's a, I think it's a lack of, I, I think in some ways, like it comes, these conversations will come more as we start to decenter marriage and the nuclear family as the central point in our spiritual communities and also the central point, I think, of our social lives. Mm. As we begin, like, hopefully, like, reintegrating into, you know, maybe this is like, maybe not even in our lifetime, but I hope so. At least I want it for myself. And it's kind of how I'm trying to practice how I create friendships and relationships is that the definition of family becomes so expansive that it's not just me and my spouse and my kids in our house, but it's me and my spouse and their gay uncle and their lesbian neighbor. And like, you know, their friends, like, like truly expanding this thing to be a little bit more inclusive of every bit of our human experiences. Yeah. Does that make sense? It it definitely does, you know? And I think, I think some people, when they hear decentering, they think erasing. It's like, no, not at all. 
but maybe it's just making room no, that, no, no. for the fact that other people might have different ways of expressing those yeah. things, right? And listen, I mean, I, like, I, have, I, I, I have a family. I have two kids. I love my family, okay? I mm-hmm. am deeply committed They're to my dope. family. I love your family. Yeah, right. They're great. But I also, like, to your point, I'm like, well, you know, this isn't, like, the only way to exist as a human adult. Like, there are other mm-hmm. ways to do this thing. And also, there's kind of, there's a sense of beauty of recognizing that, hey, to my own kids, yeah, mommy and daddy live this way. But just so you know, other people have different ways of doing this. Yeah. And it's something to just learn from. You know, you don't have to, I'm not saying you have to live that way, but it's something right. for you to be aware of and to acknowledge. Yeah. Friends, it's no secret that deconstruction can lead you wondering, what now after the dust settles? How do I make sense of God? Where do my ethics come from? What is God like? Well, I'm happy to tell you that my friends and brilliant scholars, Tom Ord and Trip Fuller, are tackling those questions at the God After Deconstruction event, February 9th through 10th at Drew University in Madison, New Jersey. Join me as we hear not only from them, but from other leading voices like Alexis Lilly and Catherine Keller as we dream of a better way forward in our faith and discover a God who is more loving than we could ever imagine. Tickets are on sale now, and you can get them via the link in the show notes. That's February 9th through the 10th at Drew University in Madison, New Jersey. Grab a ticket and let's hang out. I'll see you there. I think the other gift that I have in my life is quite vibrant queer community and how mm-hmm. have become family to one another, including our, you know, everybody's spouses and everybody else's kids. Yeah. Like this Thanksgiving, I spent it with, she doesn't know that she's my drag mother, but I basically adopted her as my drag mother, Ellasaurus Rex. Shout out. If you don't know her, follow her on the internet. Every single year, she basically just has all of the queers, all the drag queens, all the drag queens' friends, everybody. Like we go to the, I'm talking 30, 40 people deep for a big queer meal where it's just like, I, we belong. Right. You know, and, and so I want that for everyone. That's what, that's what I like, you know, you gotta, it's one of those things where just like everyone's like, I don't care how you love. If you love good old vanilla love and you're just chilling, like, that's great. We I want you to flourish. And I also want you to let me flourish. Yeah. Yeah, You know, every time around the holidays, I get a lot of DMs, a lot of DMs. And I get a lot of DMs from people. There are some, you know, they could be straight, they they could be queer, but a lot of queer folks. And they're like, yeah, I just, I can't go home for Thanksgiving. Mm. You know, like my, my, my parents still won't acknowledge who I am. They won't. They won't use my pronouns. They won't acknowledge that this is who I am or whatever. They, 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 won't, they won't accept my partner, et cetera. And it's like, what a, what a lonely place to be, you know? I mean, mm. listen, me and my parents, we get along just fine. We have serious disagreements and it's not over my sexuality. It's over what I do for a living, right? And even that can be awkward at times. I can't imagine oh, sure. just me being who I am, being a problem for my own parents, knowing that that's kind of over all of our heads at the Thanksgiving table. And so I think that that as a lot of people have kind of come out of one form of community, a lot of us are kind of feeling a little like wondering, right? Like, okay, well, is there another mm-hmm. place I can call home where people recognize me and we can do the hard work and we can have those hard conversations and I can be loved and accepted and people can give me grace and I can show them grace? I think that's kind of the next yeah. evolution for a lot of folks who are out there who are like, listen, maybe they deconstructed, maybe they're totally not a Christian anymore. Maybe they are. But the common denominator I hear is like, I just want to belong somewhere again. I don't care where it is. I just need to belong somewhere. Not to pivot, but to pivot. Let's pivot. In the book. Oh, oh shit. The book. I talk, there's an entire chapter called Forget Finding Community. Oh, Kevin. You're so, you're so controversial. 
Because he, the, this is what I think. A lot of us don't actually know what community means. Yes, Kevin, preach. We Sorry, think, now I'm telling you, because like, what, what's so interesting, we go into these communities and our identities are formed and shaped and, you know, we get melted down, poured into the mold, cast out, and, you know, we're just like out there, but then like we start cracking and then we get thrown out because we don't want to go through the repair process of their version of repair, which is lose yourself again. Melt down all the things you think your identity into this one thing. Lose yourself within this. Put your identity in Christ. And by that, they mean white Jesus. Yes. And so we leave that place. Mm. Right. And we're, you know, oh, I miss the community. I miss the community. And I think what I'm, what I think we're saying under, underneath without knowing it is I miss having the security of knowing who I am and that other people are going to affirm that. Hmm. But in that space, we did not know. We did not know. We didn't know. At least I'll say for myself, I didn't know who I was there. Hmm. And so we leave these spaces and we're wandering out in the world and we're kind of freeballing it at life, which is fine. But then we like try to find new groups of people. We try to find replacements for that thing that we had that was all encompassing. And we're dissatisfied by most things because it doesn't quite scratch the itch that we're trying to get. And it's like, and but you gotta realize that itch is a is a festering wound mm. that you need to heal. It's, I think, in some level, I think it's a codependent. We think we need to be a part of something in order to be whole. And then by the time we actually do find some kind of healthy friendship group or healthy spiritual community, we find that we can't take full advantage of that or give ourselves to it fully because we don't know who we are. A really healthy community is made up of people of multiple identities coming together in order to express the greatness of what we might call God. But the thing is, without you in your wholeness, that image will be incomplete. And if you're going to a group of people saying, well, tell me who I am. I'm just like, or, you know, tell me what to do. Wrong approach. The last part of it is just like, rather than looking for community, because there is like the part I want to say, look for friends. Forget the whole fancy community idea that it has to be a regular thing. We have to start finding friends. And that might mean talking to your neighbor. It might mean doing something non-spiritual. It might mean getting a hobby. It also might mean like getting involved locally with maybe a direct action or a political action right now. It might mean starting your own meditation circle at your house. It might mean going to a yoga studio. It might mean finding, starting a book club. It might mean, you know, joining somebody's Patreon. I don't know. Or starting a podcast. (laughs) Or starting a fucking podcast. When I tell you, like... And here's the thing. Everyone's like, well, everyone's got a podcast. The top of the chart is still dominated by bullshit. And so the more of us who are out here, saturate the market. There's plenty of room. Saturate it. There's plenty of room. Oh, my God. There's plenty of room. I could go on. So, yeah. My My big thing is just like stop looking for like a big organized thing and start looking for the people who are who love you right here and now because they do exist. Here's my question. Do you miss the ritual? Like, I feel like part of mm. what I miss, I'm just being straight up with you in the audience. No, you should be because I, I know to, I, I know where I'm going I to. I do miss the ritual of doing something on Sunday mornings. That, 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 those neurons have been so deeply embedded. I, I told you this when I went to North Point for the first time in May. I visited Andy and I went to his mm. Sunday morning service because he invited me. Sure. And, you know, it's this North Point is 40,000 people. All right. They're huge. The church gorgeous is building. It's, it's gorgeous. So I walk in 
And I had not been in an environment like this in a long time. And the lights dim, the music starts. I almost wept. And I was like, I miss this. Like, I, if I'm being honest with myself in this moment, I miss being in the green room. I miss being behind the stage. I miss being on the stage playing music. I miss the sense of camaraderie. Now, of course, all the caveats, we all know that, folks. We know why it's problematic. We know all that. But like, it's okay I, to miss I something that it. made you feel really good. Right. I really missed it. And I was like, so am I missing? When I say, for me, I was thinking, when I miss community, when I say I miss community, am I talking about the actual people that I did so much of my life with? Or is it the rituals that I was doing with them? And for me, I think it is and a, or maybe a little both, a little bit of both. And, and I'm struggling with like the ritual part. Cause I do have friends and I have some mm-hmm. great people both online and in my, in, in, in proximity to me. But man, mm-hmm. like I'm kind of getting the itch of like, I'm not even saying it has to be like church. I just miss the ritual of like of doing something with people that feels bigger than myself. Does that make sense? It does. And I will say I used to miss that mm. until I started creating and finding the rituals for myself now yeah. that work well. Because like I'm with you, like even like I was like, you know, even after I came out and like, you know, left evangelical land, I I was a worship leader at a progressive church for years. And it's like, you know, even now, like even the idea of leading worship. And even if I if I ever get the opportunity, like I cry because like like when I'm do, do when I'm in a moment of union, it's it's emotional because like there's no words for it. It's good. And so there's a part of me that's just like, I used to miss going to a place and doing that thing. Right. And then I was like, well, w- it's funny enough. Like they used to say like, we well, are quiet time. You should be experiencing God every day. Why aren't you? It's like, and that I actually was like, wait a second, that's true. So for me, and I think this is, you know, not to, you know, pivot again, but the book, like this is what I wrote the fucking book for mm. because I want us to start figuring out what we're going to do about that problem, about the problem of I miss that feeling of being connected to something bigger than myself, the feeling of being connected to source, to love, yeah. to a purpose. Yeah. Yes. And what I found is through creating and you know, kind of cultivating a personal spiritual practice is like that longing for union, which I really think is like the thing behind the thing behind the thing. What am I really longing for? I want to be in love. Hmm. I want to experience God in this moment, here and now. And I think that if we, through very, very small things that we can do, we can begin tapping into that. And then, as at least for me, what's become clear is like, now I know how to help other people find it. Mm. And now I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, okay, so now that I've got like a good grasp on like my own shit and I've got friends who do too, I'm like, what would it be like for us to come together? Right. What it would be like for us to actually like create some kind of spiritual community that was healthy. Yeah. And in the meantime, I'll tell you, like, I've been out of, I've been de-churched for three years now. And the only time I miss it, the only time I miss it is when I am not deeply connected to myself, when I'm not keeping my practices that keep me connected to source and love hmm. to keep me grounded. It's, it's one of these things where it's like, in some ways, I feel like I found what is better hmm. because now, because in some ways, yes, we're allowed to miss things. And I think what the church did is trick us into uh, a practice of un- of conditional alignment, meaning I can only feel this thing when I go to this place. Yeah. And if these people are happy with me. Yeah. And what I am proposing is a practice to bring one into unconditional alignment, meaning I can feel the presence of love and be aware of love's presence in all things. And if there's ever a block to the awareness of love's presence, I know how to work with it, mm. to remove it mm. so that I can 
that lonely feeling. I'm not like, like, you know, in some ways, like, you know, there's always going to be a little nostalgia, but I'm telling you what, I think there's something better. Mm. Um, That's really good. So I have a couple questions then. First off, I've got the name many of, answers. For, I hope. Just for the for the audience to know, the name of the book yes. is What Makes You Bloom. Okay, that's the name of yes. the book. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we haven't even mentioned it yet because yeah. Just how By the way, this I whole are. thing has been about a book I, I wrote. It's coming out very soon. <laughs> so I have two questions for you. The first one is personal because you and I were both at beer camp this past year, right? We we're at, we we're at theology beer camp, and I know you know where My I'm going favorite. with this. And you you led oh the you led communion, communion. with people, and Flamey Grant mm-hmm. led. I'm going to call it worship. And I I don't know if you know this, Kevin. I talked to Sarah Heath about this on our podcast. And I'm going to tell you how I felt. And I want your feelings. Because you, I thought it was, I couldn't tell for you, like, how you were navigating what you were doing. Oh, I um, loved it. I, I loved it. But I started getting feelings I used to get in my evangelical days. Mm-hmm. And so I repressed them. I said, no, mm-hmm. I said, it's not mm-hmm. going to get me. I'm not going to buy into the moment that this is something special because I've been here before and now I'm on the outside of that. And I'm still navigating my own feelings on that in my own work. I have, I have to navigate that. But for you, you were on that stage leading communion. Everyone who served communion was queer. It was incredibly powerful in that sense. How did you feel being in a church environment that kind of looks a little evangelical in nature, right? They have like the lights yeah. and the drums in the cage. And you're leading a very Christian ritual, right? Mm-hmm. As someone who hasn't been in church in three years, give me your feelings on that and thoughts. It's kind of like the thoughts I started off with. like, I'm not ordained, but I am anointed, mm. if you will. And that's kind of a, like a beautiful thing about this. It's quite audacious to kind of claim something like that. Yeah. But it's one of those things where I'm just like, proof is in the pudding, babe. Like, it's right there. Like, if, And I think there, there's something very, very beautiful about taking something like communion, which for me... I think it stands out in my mind as one of the most beautiful rituals because it's like the prerequisite is, are you hungry and are you thirsty? Would you like something to eat? Mm-hmm. The answer is yes to any one of these things. Mm-hmm. Come on over. Um, it It is the great equalizer. It's freely offered, freely given. And for me, it's just like it was I understood this to be like that Christ, like Jesus set this table to equalize everybody. And that this is like. Jesus, the Christ, God, is the one who welcomes us. Nothing and no one can get in the way of this. And it's one of the, when I think about my role or my work in this world, it's like, I feel like this is part of my calling. Like, I'm here, like, you know, like, I don't really care about a label or what people think about me. Just like my job here, I think, on earth is to be a conduit for God's love. Mm. To be a person who can hold space for people and to proclaim that this love is available mm. to us. So me standing on that stage performing this ritual, I'm just like, and like sharing this moment with everyone. Like there was a couple of people who were saying that same thing. Like, I don't want to like, I can feel those feelings come up again. I think on some level, we're scared to feel those feelings again because it, it has a lot of pain attached to it. Yeah. Because like this is reminding me of everything that I've lost before. Yeah. And I'm so afraid of, you know, there's a part of us, our bodies are afraid of being betrayed once more. Yeah. We're afraid that like I, it can't be that good. Love can't be that good. And something I was saying to somebody else, or she's like, she's saying, I'm feeling a little bit emotional going into this. I'm just like, you're allowed to be emotional because it is. I said, so let it be as good as it is for once. We're mm-hmm. so afraid of being hurt yeah. 
or that something is going to let us down. I'm just like, but I have to look at myself and say, this is not that. You know, this is a part of the uncoupling process we have to do with some with with Jesus and the Christ and God or whatever spirit in general, mm. spiritual practices and spirituality. Like this is part of the uncoupling from the trauma to say what happened in those old spaces happened, and this is not that. Mm. Because who's the person holding the mic? It's a genderqueer, super transgressive, you know, weirdy. Like, the, you know, like it, it matters who presides. I think it matters. Because like, what we're, again, like what we're longing for is union. Yeah. What we're longing for is that love. And so for me getting to do those things, of course, in Miracle says you only teach what you want to learn. And I want to learn how to be in union. Mm. I want to learn how to to receive. I want to learn how to dole out that kind of compassion mm. on others and myself. Yeah. So for me, like short version, wonderful, delightful. It felt it felt correct. Mm. And it does not feel contradictory to me either. A lot of people are like, well, how can you do that? Because you say that you're not a Christian. I'm just like, who do you say that I am? You know, mm. you look at my life, what, is it, what does it tell you? Right. If you look at me and you see, like, a non-monogamous, like, you know, pot-smoking, you know, bad word, cussing, degenerate, then, like, yeah. But also, I mean, like, that's what you're going to see. But if you are even the slightest bit curious, you might, you might meet Christ, mm. for all you know. Mm. Wow. That's great. I love that. What a great answer. I think a lot of people resonate with that as they're listening. Yeah, I hope so. Hi, I'm Dr. Jennifer Bird. I'm a biblical scholar. And long story short, the reason I became a biblical scholar is I had been a very conservative evangelical Christian. And then I had a chance to learn more about the Bible and it changed everything about the way I engaged the Bible. As an educator at heart, I actually wanted to help others find similar freedom and more loving ways of engaging the Bible. So that's what I do. I'm interested in helping others learn how to engage the Bible without harming themselves or others, basically, put short. And that is at the heart of what I see TNE doing on various levels here, specifically being committed to the values of love, justice, inclusivity, and non-dehumanization. I could not be more excited about the work TNE is doing, and I could not be more supportive of Project Amplify. I hope you will consider joining the movement and helping us make things happen. So the book, What Makes You Bloom, I mean, you're talking about a lot of things. You're talking about community and, you know, all this stuff. For you, like, what was what was the major inspiration to writing it? You, you, your first book was called mm. Bad Theology Kills. I have your hoodie. I love your hoodie. I think it's great. And now you're writing another one. What makes you bloom? Mm -hmm. Kind of very a very different title, right? One is one is in the negative. One's in the positive. So, what was the inspiration right. for this one? The first book is was me. I think initially, like having to walk myself through the process of pulling apart everything like systematically yeah. and using like Christianity's own tools in order to undo it, you know, or to undo the authority of all those things that were holding me back. And then on the other side of it, like when I was in the middle, you know, I started seminary and I, you know, realized, oh, I don't care about this anymore. That's not good. <laughs> and by this, I mean, I don't care about like the longevity of the church and I don't care about biblical interpretations as much as I did, if at all, like authority. But like I was asking the question, I'm like, okay, so like what am I going to do to get back to God? Because 
I know that I have felt God. Mm. That's the thing. I know at some point, even in this imperfect journey, in all of these imperfect containers that we call churches or mission fields or you know religious nonprofit work, whatever we want to call <laughs> right, it, yeah, right. whatever container you were in, for some of us, you know, we're just like, I think I felt God. I think I experienced, you know, at least a spark of it, and I I want it. I know that I can connect back to it. So I, you know, I was like, all right, what am I going to do? Rumor has it meditation works. You know, rumor has, like, you know, it's like the most time-tested thing and everybody does it in all religions and times. And so, like, I started learning how to meditate. I used Headspace to start off and just did really basic mindfulness meditation. And then I got into Zen meditation. And then people taught me about, like, you know, how to use visualization and also Hypno, like hypnosis. Did you know that hypnosis is literally the same thing? Guided meditation and hypnosis, kind of the same thing. Really? I feel like I buy one, but not the other. I'm like, meditation, no problem. Hypnosis, eh, nope, don't believe it. Well, the thing about it is, if I tell you in your mind, picture a red apple. Okay. No, I'm still here. Don't worry. Camera just turned off. Okay. Like, wow, that worked. (laughs) You you disappeared. (laughs) Now picture a pink elephant picking up that red apple and throwing it at a purple blob with a smile. Did you see all that in your mind? I did. Hypnosis. All hypnosis is, is suggestion. So for in deep meditation, I'm saying, I want you to drop into the cave of your heart and see it in your mind's eye Mm. as clearly as you would see your own hand. What does it look like? in there. Let your mind populate everything in the space. Now let love come into the room. What does love look like in your mind's eye? I'm merely giving you a suggestion and you are taking it on and evaluating it and using it. Now some people think hypnosis is like, you know, people on stage doing crazy things and like, yes, those people are highly suggestible and I think are acting out. Mm. IMO, I don't know. But as far as using like guided meditation slash like, you know, hypnosis in order to help people like because like I, I was literally, I was research. I was like, I you know been doing guided meditation for a while, and I'm like, oh, hypno, you know, hypnosis as a form of therapy, like hypnotherapy to get, like get to un- help undo things. I'm like, this is all just guided meditation technique. Mm. Literally, as I was sitting, I was just like, this, this is. I was it was astounding to me how it's like literally like the modality. It's just different modalities. It's truly fascinating. Mm. Anyways, I'm sorry, I'm off track. No, you're good. The reason I wrote this book, which is the question, yes, is because A, I wanted to, in, not in some ways, systematize the things that I was teaching to my students because I, I had a whole bunch of stuff. I was not piecemealing it, but I was, I was like, how can I say this in a way that's very clear? That's in a, um, a format that is like kind of follows a logical progression and is accessible to people who need it the most. And for me, I'm thinking about all of my friends on the internet who are just like, I, want to feel connected to God again, but I don't know how, uh, this is the book. This is, it's so practical. Mm. And so every single chapter, funny enough, talks about cultivating one of the fruit of the spirit. Mm. Because I think love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are wonderful virtues. Yes. And so every single chapter I talk about, how do I develop self-control? Self-control, we think, has to do with deprivation. We think it's about white knuckling. We think it's about, I don't do that. So I'm self-controlled. You don't masturbate anymore. I don't touch my dick no more. I haven't (laughs) rubbed. I haven't flicked that bean in so long. I'm good. I'm self-controlled. That's one way of putting it. But all you're doing, 
<laughs> but all you're doing, all you're doing is thinking about it though. Mm. Like this is the thing. It's just yeah. like true self-control actually is only doing what you want ever and never feeling the compulsion to do something that you don't want to do. Mm. It's being able to know, and you can only do that when you know who you are. Mm. And how do we, and I think like a lot of it, like, you know, one of the things that we say that was like, oh, I have such trouble with negative self-talk. I talk shit to myself all the time. Yeah. Because you don't have any self-control. And the way I think about it is like something the Course in Miracles says is you, it reads me and says, you accomplish so little because your mind is so undisciplined. Mm. Because you've been practiced in one direction for so long to think that you're a piece of shit and that's it. But as someone who practices every single day, if you have a practice of peace, if you have a practice of centering love in your life, eventually that changes. Eventually, over time, if I say, oh, I'm a piece of shit. No, I'm not. I'm good. I'm dope. Piece of awesome. I don't know. Okay, pause. I got to stop you. Okay. I need help with this, Kevin. I, sure. I need to enter into Kevin's room of, of help because... Welcome. I Thank you. Thank you so much. I'll Venmo you later. I love that idea. Okay, let me just preface. When I was going through my major crisis of like mental health and anxiety that just turned on like a light switch in like my late 20s, it was crazy. I mean, mm -hmm. out of nowhere. I still don't know what caused it. It was three years of hell. Ruminating thoughts. I was in fight or flight. I didn't, I didn't have words like anxiety or depression. So it just set me down this path of trying to find help, right? I discovered meditation. There's an app. The app, what was the app I was using? I was using a meditation app for a while. And I got into a rhythm. Uh, every day, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And I will say, like, it was, it was great. Like, it was really helpful. Here's my biggest struggle now. How do you find the time? Cause I feel like my brain, and I don't, I'm not diagnosed with ADHD, but it very much feels that way sometimes, where my brain is pulled in a thousand different directions. I'm like, okay, I have this work to do, this work to do. We're both content creators. I mm -hmm. know you know that feeling of like, I haven't gotten a video out I gotta in like get up two and days, work. you know? Oh, and then you maybe you don't feel it like, you're, then you're like, what should I make a video about? Oh, I got nothing. Oh, now I feel guilty. People are waiting on me. I know you know those feelings, right? So I have that. Then of course, all the other work and then, then the family stuff, yada, yada. How do you find time? And, and how, what was the brain switch for you that said, no matter what, this is a new high priority? Like, no, something else will suffer before this ritual suffers. Mm. What was that? What was that journey like for you? Help me. Well, the thing about it is, is like what I'm already doing is causing me to suffer. Mm. The way that you, what you just described is suffering. Yes. The way that torturous. my life is, <laughs> the way that I'm running my life right now yeah. on the rhythm of needing to be a content creator at the speed of capitalism. Yeah. I feel like I have to do this because if I don't, X, dit, 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 this will happen and then this will happen and That's then this right. will happen and That's right. yada, yada, yada. You're sure, in my sure, brain. Sure. As somebody who has been there and gets there a lot, I will tell you that on the days that I miss my practice, I can tell. And then on the days when I keep my practice, I can tell. Hmm. It's like, it's literally, it's a quality of life thing. And so for me, it was like, I had to decide what do I want more than anything? Do I want to feel peace or not? And it's okay if I wake up in the morning and like, there's like, there's, well, of course I want to feel peace. I'm like, okay, what, what am I willing to do right now in order to get it? Mm, in order to go the back key. there. That's the key. It's like, what am I willing to do? And if the answer is nothing right now, no judgment. If I don't want to meditate right now, if I don't want to sit down and journal, if I don't want to go move my body in a way that feels good, I'm not going to do it. There's, God does not judge me. I'm not judging you. The only person who's judging you is you. And the thing about it is, is all you're doing is just continuing to feel miserable, mm -hmm. which is fine. 
But if the answer is, yes, I want to feel peace, what am I willing to do? I'm willing to sit for at least one minute right now to just roll my shoulders back. (sighs) Oh my gosh, let me tap in. What am I really feeling? Mm. Why am I really anxious? I know I've got to, all right, forget all that. Let me just breathe Mm -hmm. in and out. (sighs) Because I know that when I just breathe and focus on that, what I'm doing is engaging my parasympathetic nervous system which allows the body to stop the fight or flight response that I'm having in thinking I've got to work harder, Mm. which is a lie right? because I do work hard. Because if I look at the actual, if I'm speaking from Tim's perspective, if I look at the amount of content I actually put out, if I look at the number of people who are engaging, if I look at the stories that are happening because of the work that I'm helping with, it's enough. Mm. Okay. Okay. Mm. And maybe that's it. Maybe that's your practice for the moment. Mm. But like you said, I used to have a 10, 15 minute thing and it was good. And it's like, well, why did I stop? Right. Well, I had things to do. Right. And then what happened? I started to feel miserable. Mm. And it's like, all right. The, the reality is like, it was just like, where do you find the time? I'm just like, it's right there. We like the, the ego loves to say, I don't got time to do it. Just Seriously. what's so there's nothing difficult about what's what we're giving, you know? And, and also, the thing about it is, I, you got to think about what you're getting out of it, though, too. Like, this is what I love about true devotion to, to love and to a spiritual path and to keeping ourselves in the center of love, to keeping ourselves centered on God, if you will, is, what does it say in the good book? You reap a hundred times what you sow, right? And so it's like, the, for those that, like, every single time, I even if in 60 seconds, I lose track of the mantra and I come back 60 times. That's 60 times that I willfully chose to change my mind and turn back to love. And so in the real world, when I'm having shitty thoughts or I'm getting fearful or I'm getting scared, it's like, wait a second, I can turn back to love right now because I've practiced it 60 times already today. I know how to do that. Every single time I feel my breath search like cramp up in my body, I'm like, ooh, I'm really stressed out right now, aren't I? Have I taken my meds? Mm. Do I need to eat? Do I need to drink some water? Do we need to go on a hot girl walk? Hmm. You know, like, yeah. it's one of these things where it's like, I dare you to care about how you feel enough to do just a little bit about it. And the thing is, once you realize how simple it is to return to peace and how good it feels to feel good, for me, I don't want anything else. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, this is like, you mean I can feel this more often than not? Through something as little as sitting on my ass for five minutes a day. Right. And it's not going to say like I found like perfect peace all the time. Right, right. But it's one of these things where just like I now know how to hold my suffering even better. Mm. When the hard things come, yeah. I love myself the more and I lean into the people around me all the more rather than powering through. Right. Rather than thinking I have to do more or be tough. And so for me, it's just like, where do we find the time? It's here. Mm. Right. Like right now, it's a great time. Mm-hmm. And if not now, you know, maybe at the, at the end of the hour. But it's like, start with one minute, even. Like, forget trying to make a big old practice out of it. I, I recommend for folks for seven days, one minute. And don't do any more. Don't let yourself do any more, even if you're tempted <laughs> <Self> to. Self-control. <laughs> and if you can do one minute, double it the next week. Do two minutes. And then after that, double it again. And then double it again. And then double it again until it's feeling really good. And just stay in a place where it feels really good. Like, it does not have to be elaborate. You don't need an altar. You don't need candles or incense. It helps. You know, I'm a big fan of aesthetics. Right. So like lighting the candle 
burning the incense, having the picture, you know, I have on my altar, I have Jesus who's pointing at the, at the sacred heart. So it's just like, for me, that ushers me right in, like that helps engage my whole self to bring me into, here's great love here for you. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. That's my favorite mantra. Mm. There's, there's great love here for you. That's a great mantra. I'm going to start thinking about that more often. Mm. I dare you. Here's my here's my 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 favorite thing to give to people. So this is free for everybody. Set on in your alarm for just a week. I dare you. Set an alarm for every hour between nine a.m. and nine p.m. And when it just dings and you see breathe, you know, label it breathe. I want for one minute, just breathe and think. There's great love here for you, mm. or me if you want to personalize it. There's great love here for me. You know, touch your heart if it feels good, and then go about your day. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, if you miss it on if you miss it, no big deal. Check it on the next one. And even if you just like you're driving, you hear the the ding go off and you go, You're driving, there's great love here for me. It's like, mm. Right. I dare you. I dare you. I love that. When does your book come out? January 9th. Okay. So this podcast will be out probably shortly after that or right around that time. So that's awesome. Yeah. And I'm assuming it's going to be everywhere, Amazon, any place you can get your books. Is there a, a, a place you prefer people to buy the book instead of Amazon? You can go to thekevingarcia.com slash bloom. If you live in the United States, you can get an autographed copy sent to you from me. It will cost a little bit more because it's from it's me and I don't get a big discount on shipping because I'm not a big box store. Right. If you're abroad, Amazon, Barnes & Noble is available to you. It'll be on Kindle and it will be in audiobook format. So available from Audible and other audiobook resources. Kevin, my friend, it's always good talking to you whether we're on the mic or not. And I'm sure I'll talk to you soon about something that someone crazy did in some kind of group God, chat. I, so <laughs> I fucking hope so. I love sitting down with you. And what I also like enjoy about you, you are one of the most sincere people that I know. It's truly, it's like, Oh, you're not just an asshole on the internet, you know, <laughs> not that I think you're an asshole on the internet, but like, I think a lot of times when, when we do internet things, people tend to think that we're, I don't know, inhuman and treat us poorly. So yeah. I just want to let you know, I love your sincerity and how much you care about people. Thanks, my friend. That it's fuck, it's real. I, it's also one of the things that like keeps me coming back for more. It's because you're just, <laughs> I try to be the same person on and off, you know, I, I, you know, it's funny, my dad and I, we see things so differently, but one thing that he really instilled in me is a sense of integrity because he was always mm. the same person, mm. you know, um, that he was at church behind closed doors. And I know for a lot of people that wasn't the case. And so, especially starting this work and walking into this world of deconstruction, I just told myself early on, like, you better be the same freaking person you are when the camera's off that you Dang. are to your, to your oh. partner and to your kids and to the internet. And so, I just try, and mm-hmm. honestly, it's kind of, it's a lot easier. I'm not trying to pretend. <laughs> Ooh, that's, that's the damn truth. Radical honesty, like, clarity. About it, who, man. That's who I am. Yeah, and if you don't like it, I'm just like, that sucks. Right. I'm a delight. It's fine. It's fine. There, are, I, I know for a fact there are a lot of people out there who might think our work is too whatever, and I, and that's fine. Like, I, I think in the beginning, you know, you kind of get to like, oh, I don't want to lose people. But also, if it's all about yeah. me or the organization, then we're, we're still doing it wrong. Like, you, people need other rooms to explore and to realize that, hey, not everyone's for everyone. And that's really okay, you know? Like, that's the thing. It's just like, I'll, I want, I want to lose people. <laughs> I want to be polarizing to the, I want to be polarizing to the point where just like, it's clear if my work is for you or not. Right. Like, I don't, I don't need 
to walk people through their like biblical proof texting. I don't need to like prove the validity of my practices. I don't need to convince anybody of anything anymore. Right. Like that, that's called freedom. Yeah. And for me, that's called salvation, baby. I love it. Uh, My friend, good seeing you. We'll talk again soon. Cheers. 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 